You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the West Side Church. My name is Ron Harris, and today I'm going to be talking about prayer. Um, so for our midweek service, we're going to start a series in prayer. Um, and before I begin to talk about prayer, I want to give you a little background of my faith and, and my experience with prayer. So I grew up in Virginia, the South, where Christianity is part of the culture, right? So you're black, you're from the South, you're Christian. So as a kid, my mom would teach me to the Lord's Prayer or the bedtime prayer. And I would do this religiously, not really understanding what it meant, but I would do it. And it went something like this. Some of you all may know it. It goes, now, lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen. So I repeated this for quite some time with my family, not really understanding what it meant. And then I went to a Christian elementary school, and they talked about prayer and how it was meant. Uh, just really simply just talking to God and how they approached it to me. They were like, yeah, you can talk to God about anything and ask him anything and he'll give it to you. So as a seven-year-old kid, I was like, all right, I'm going to put this to the test. So so I uh, I asked specifically for $100. <laughs> so, and the reason being is because the tooth fairy would give me money. So I'm like, surely enough, God will give me money, right? That doesn't make sense. Um, but sadly, I was disappointed. There was no money underneath my pillow. And that kind of set the, the precedent for my view on prayer, right? It didn't exist. It, it's, it's not real. It's ineffective. Um, God doesn't really hear me. He, he may exist, but prayer is not, um, authentic. However, when I became an adult and I began to study the scriptures, my view on prayer started to change, and I started to develop a better understanding of what prayer truly is. So, with that being said, let's read the Bible. But before we read, um, can everyone turn to Luke 11, and we're going to pray really briefly. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, thank you for um, just waking up everybody, um, creating this moment and this opportunity to open your scriptures And to hear your word. God, I pray that um, you speak through me. Let your word do the work. Let me get out of the way. God, and we just want to worship and honor you with our life, our time here. God, and and, and, um, yeah, just be present, Father. I love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Luke 11, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And it may be on the screen right here. And, And for those watching at home, it says, One day, when Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. 
So let's take a quick bird's eye view of that passage. So you have the disciples, you know, Christ's followers coming to him, asking him a central part of his ministry, a central part of who Jesus is. How do we pray? How do we pray like John prays? Or how do, just, how do we pray and go before God? And the first word that he mentions is Father. Father. Everybody say it with me. Father. The people in the camera, the people at home. Father. <laughs> so when we hear the word Father, it can be a mixed bag of emotions. You know, unfortunately, we live in a culture where fatherless, father, fatherlessness runs rampant. Right. And even then, when we have people in our lives that are our, our fathers or our loved ones who we look up to, they still don't compare to who God is. So when when the Jews of this time, the first century Jews heard this word, it was more so an intimate relationship. So Jesus really set the tone and the trend. One commentator mentions that it was never before mentioned how Jesus approached prayer What's personal. God is no longer distant where you have to go to the temple. You have to do all these things. He's right there close and he loves you. So Jesus really sets a tone and says, like, this is a relationship. You are speaking to someone who loves you, who values you. You know, there's no person on this earth who really can imitate who God is. So as we continue, it says, hollow be your name. Hollow means set apart. Hollow means to respect, to revere, to give honor. You know, it's, it's to say there's no one like God. He is completely unique. You know, I thought of an analogy kind of like today. How would someone um, speak of another person? If you're like, oh, who, who, is, who is Ron? Let me go check his, his social media. What does his profile say? So I would like to think if God had his profile on social media, it would be holy. Hashtag Yeshua, you may have heard him, Adonai, Elohim, all these names of who God is, right? He's so unique and different, so set apart from people. He deserves respect and honor. Then Jesus continues to tell them to pray for God's kingdom to come on heaven, to come here on earth as it is in heaven. Simply put, for God's will to be done here on earth. And then he tells them to pray for daily provisions. Pray for forgiveness of sin and ask for those who sin, um, who you sinned against. Ask for forgiveness of those people you've offended. And lastly, pray that God will not lead you to, to be tempted to sin. So I just want to give a brief overview of the Lord's Prayer. And I would encourage everyone to go back and read it. Um, but we're really, I wanted to focus on most of the day is um, the next couple of scriptures. Verses 5 through 9. And as we read, Jesus further explains the posture of prayer. He's like, this is how you practice this, this prayer, this, this communion with God. And it says, verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, let me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, 
he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, find. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Man, Jesus, with these words, with this, whatever that you seek, if you're persistent, if you are in desperation, if you really want to have an answer, you want to seek God, he will answer you, right? And some of you may be thinking, well, I've been persistent about praying for for a long time, whether it be my family, my health, um, my future spouse, whatever the case may be, and, and God seems not to be answering those prayers. Well, then we have to remember that prayer is for our heart, our posture, to make God be the center of our life, for his will to be done. He knows what's best for us, right? He truly is... Um, set apart and far beyond our understanding of what's best for us. But I have a question, though. Have you all been in a situation in your life when you were so desperate, you didn't care what the circumstances were, you had to find it, right? It could be your car keys. <laughs> it could be your wallet when it disappears in, like, the crevices of your couch, and, like a portal, and it goes, it goes missing. Or it could be a family emergency, but you just need help. So for me, there was a moment in my life when I was desperate, right? I lost my father, you know, my best friend, my loved one. And it made me just question, what, what's the purpose of life? You know, if we all come to, to the grave, right? If our, if our body just becomes a corpse, why are we here? Right? And, it, and if there is a God, like, who, who are you? So it led me on this journey to explore Jesus. And as I was exploring Jesus and reading um, historians, and it was, then I led to the Bible. And as I read the scriptures, I was so perplexed with this idea of Jesus being God and man. It's like, this does not make sense. How, how, someone please explain to me. So as I was seeking out, like, okay, if this Jesus if Jesus truly walked this earth, who who is he? So I remember my senior year of high school, I um, didn't pray this prayer out loud per se, but that was a, an internal prayer for a, a quite some time. And I remember I opened up the Bible, didn't look on Google, didn't look on the reference page, and exactly the question that I had, Jesus, who are you, is where I turned to in the scriptures. And, and, and I turn into the scriptures and Jesus says, I am. Now this phrase is the same phrase that God tells Moses in the burning bush. I am. And he continues, he says, if you believe in me, you believe in the Father. Me and my Father are one. I was shook. Goosebumps. You want to call it coincidence? I would argue not. But God sincerely answered my prayer. I was seeking, and he, he, he gave me the, the solution. And that le- led to the journey of studying the scriptures and seeing who God is. That type of persistency. That type of persistence. So with that being said, 
There we go. We're going to finish it off with my favorite uh, part of the passage, which reflects God's heart as we read verses 11 through 13. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? See, in the previous example, Jesus talks about someone in need, right? They're desperate. They're really persistent in seeking um, a solution to something that they that they want, that they desire. But in this passage, we see that God is a father who gives good gifts. This father who at times can be um, uncomparable to, to anyone in our lives. And he says, imagine a good father or a good person for that matter, that will give you a good gift, that cares about who loves you. Imagine what God the Father would give you. And when we think of a gift, it, a lot of times it's, it's at no expense, at no cost, just freely given, right? And when we read this scripture, this passage here, I love the example that Jesus used for the gift that God gives. And if when we read, he says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, as disciples, as brothers and sisters, there's no way we can earn the gift of the Holy Spirit. Of course, we hear the message of the cross and we are, un- we understand that we are sinful and we need God. And he leads us to this Godly sorrow, this repentance, like, how do we make amends with this great father, this person who loves us? How do we? And he leads us to the, the waters of baptism, and you get baptized, you receive the Spirit, and you are united with God. You become one with the God of the universe, and he transforms our lives. And this is a gift. And for those who may still have questions about prayer, and God, does it really work? I just challenge you to, to seek and search. It can be anything. Ask a question about your life. Anything. But if you truly see God, he will answer you. I just, I just, just want to encourage you. And disciples, be fervent in your prayer. Don't give up on your, your family. You know, maybe a dream that you have. Maybe it's to reach your neighborhood. Your, your your sister, or in health a health ailment, or a job, whatever it is, be persistent and trust God. So, I would like to <laughs> I lost my my notes, but it's okay. I would like to um, say that, you know, it can be difficult and challenging when you are persistent in your prayer and you've been praying for 20, 30 years um, for a spouse or for 
and ailment. And Paul talks about this thorn in his flesh. You know, just wrestling with, man, God, I want, I want this part of my life to change. Right? It can be difficult. And Kendall's gonna talk about how we continue to keep the faith despite when our, our, um, expectations are met. Thank you. Ron, you're a tall guy. Move down this mic for myself here. Wait a little bit. Good morning, Westside. My name is Kendall Horn. It's good to be with all of you this morning. I really, really appreciate you, Ron. Really appreciate your vulnerability and just illuminating that idea of prayer. Prayer is so important. And like Ron said, I'm going to be talking a little bit about being persistent in prayer and how we can, our faith can empower us to really be persistent in that way. So, I'm going to start by diving into Numbers 11. Uh, it should, should pop up on the screen, or you can turn in your Bibles there if you'd like to. So it says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. And fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Taborah, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we could have meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. And so at this point in the Old Testament, we were here with Israel and Israel is wandering in the desert, right? The plan was for them to go from point A to point B, from Egyptian slavery to the promised land. But along the way, the Israelites, they lost faith. They lost faith in God's ability to carry them into the promised land. And as a result, God said, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to send you guys into the wilderness for 40 years. And so that's where we pick up here uh, in, in this passage. And once again, in this passage, we see the Israelites making God angry. A common theme, right? This time, they're complaining about, they're complaining about this manna that they've been given by the Lord. And they're saying, we're tired of this manna. And so each day, God would shower down this manna on the Israelites from above, and they would go out of their, their houses in the morning, and they'd pick up this manna every day. You know, the scripture says it covers the ground like dew. So they'd pick up this manna each day, and God would shower it down each day. So, so they're complaining that God is showering Bread on them from above. Let's just think about that for a second, guys. That's what they're complaining about, okay? I would be pretty happy if God was showering me with food, but that's just me. So, not only that, though, they're complaining and they're reminiscing fondly about their time in Egypt, a time when they were enslaved. Because, as they put it, when they were slaves, they were able to eat fish, cucumbers, melons, and I think it says meeks. I don't, or sorry, leeks. I don't know what those are. I don't eat vegetables, but <laughs> I make a habit of not doing it. But, but sure, you know, they, they had, they had those things. And sure, they were forced to make bricks all day. And sure, Pharaoh, you know, Pharaoh ordered all their firstborn sons to be cast, uh, drowned into the Nile River, right? But at least they had cucumbers, guys. They had cucumbers. Come on. 
All this to say, lack of faith is clearly at the heart of the Israelites' discontent here. They're saying to God, they're saying, God, I know you know what I need, but I think, no, sorry, they're not saying I know what you need. They're saying, I know what I need better than you know what I need, God. They're saying, God, I know you created the universe. I know you created the heavens. You created me. But I know better what I need. You gave me this man up, but no, I need, I need something more. And the Israelites' faith has disappeared because they've forgotten what God has done in their past. If they truly remembered how God had moved in their lives, they, they wouldn't be complaining in this way. They wouldn't be saying these things. They've forgotten the ten plagues that God sent upon the Egyptians to rip the Israelites out of Pharaoh's hands. They've forgotten the way that God empowered Moses to part the Red Sea and then threw it back on top of the Egyptian army. They've forgotten they were slaves, but now they're free. God has touched every part of their journey. Every part. Always in positive ways. And so, the Israelites have forgotten. And they're thinking back. They're thinking back to their time in Egypt. And they're thinking about the time before they knew God. The time before they knew Yahweh. And they're saying, man, wasn't that so much better? Remember that, that time when we didn't know God? Wasn't that so much better? Have you guys, have you guys ever done that? Have you ever thought, man, wasn't it so much better before God? Perhaps you're going through a very difficult time. It's difficult to see God in your hardships in the midst of your trials. Maybe you're wrestling with sin and you just keep fighting and fighting and you're fighting the good fight. But it's so hard and you're just asking yourself, is this worth it? Why am I fighting? Is my life really better with God? Or maybe you're just in a place of indifference. Maybe you're saying, you know, I don't think that my life would be better without God. But would it be worse without him? And so that, that brings me to my first point. I want to encourage you guys, you know, in those moments, it can be so hard, but we have to remember, we have to remember the ways that God has freed us from our Egyptian slavery. Whatever that is, whatever form that takes for you, you know what it is. So ultimately, when we minimize God's influence on our past, we stop asking him to influence our future. Can you guys say that with me this time? It should be on the screen, I hope. When we minimize God's influence on our past, we stop asking him to influence our future. And this is hard, guys, right? Like, this is a battle. We live in a materialistic, a narcissistic culture. It just has this baseline level of discontent that is always telling us, accumulate more for yourself. Build up your empire. And this can come in all shapes and forms, right? It doesn't just have to be material possessions. Maybe you've been searching for that special someone for a really long time. Maybe you've been working so hard for that promotion and you just want it so badly. Or maybe it is a material possession. Maybe maybe you want that new car or that new house. And those things aren't bad in and of themselves. It's important to remember that. 
the issues start when we start to focus on those things. We say, man, I want that. I need that so badly. And then we forget all the things, all the things over here that God has given us, all the things that he has blessed us with. We can become forgetful and discontent just like the Israelites in this passage. For me, personally, my journey here, my journey to Pepperdine, my journey to the west side, uh, it's a lot like the Israelites in a lot of ways. It's covered in God's fingerprints, but it's also stained and marked up by lack of faith uh, from on my end, obviously, not on God's end, um, at a lot of points. So in my senior year of high school, right, I, I knew I wanted to come to Pepperdine. I knew that was where I wanted to be. And so I don't know if I said this, but I'm from Texas originally, so sort of a journey out here. But So I wanted to come to Pepperdine, and so I applied, and I was very excited when I got in, right? But I was, you know, sad when I realized Pepperdine just didn't give me the financial aid that I needed. And so my family and I appealed, and, you know, fortunately, God moved in that, and God blessed that. And I was able to come out here, and, you know, Pepperdine gave me the the money that I needed. And so when I started at Pepperdine, the plan was, let's go to medical school. Let's, Let's do that. And I wasn't crazy passionate about medical school. It wasn't what I wanted to do. I knew that there was a certain certainty in that. I knew I'd be able to provide. I knew that at the end of the day, I'd be comfortable. But by the start of my sophomore year, I knew that wasn't where I needed to be going. I, I didn't want to go to medical school. I remember talking to one of my friends about the future at one point, And I remember talking to him thinking, I'm lying to myself. I don't want this. God doesn't want this for me. But unfortunately... I, I kept lying. I kept lying to myself. I continued on in that lie. Uh, and I'm sure you guys are like, so why did you do that? You didn't want it and God didn't want it. Isn't that like the two reasons you do something? Like there's only two things there. But no, I was, I was so scared of saying, I don't know. I was so scared of saying, I don't know what I want for my future. I was terrified of that uncertainty. And I was scared because I lacked faith in God's ability to move in my life. I thought, if I don't have a plan, there is nothing. Because what else is there? If I don't have the plan, well, I guess I'm on my own. Out of luck, Kendall. Don't know what you're going to do. I was discontent and unhappy with that path, but I remained in it because I said, I don't know what you have in store for me, Lord, but because I wouldn't say, I don't know what you have in store for me, Lord, but I know it's better than my plan. And so finally, after a year of lying to myself, after a year of being in that unhappy, discontent place, I finally was like, okay, start of my junior year, I'll switch. When I say I'll switch, I'll just mean I wasn't going to medical school. I made that decision internally, right? And so fast forward to second semester of junior year, right? And you know, graduation's on the horizon at that point. It's, it's you know, around, around the corner. The sun sun's going down on my time here. And I still don't have certainty, right? I'm, I'm not going to medical school. I don't know what. There's nothing concrete. And so I get a text from Kenny, one of the campus ministers here. He, st- he shares with me uh, you know, this ministry internship opportunities you know, in partnership with uh, the Bean Missions Foundation, uh, Boston, uh, International Church of Christ, and then Camp Hope for Kids. And so I decide, you know, I'll apply for it. And the more and more I learn about, the more and more interested in it I become. And, you know, fortunately enough, I, I got into it. And so that's what I'll be doing, you know, after graduating these next 15 months, I think. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited. Very excited for this opportunity. Very excited for the ways that God is going to 
challenging me with ways that God is going to grow me uh, during this time. But if I had if I had stuck with my plan, if I had stuck with medical school, if I'd said, God, I don't I don't know that uncertainty. It's a little scary. I'm not sure if I really want to step into that. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have applied more than likely. I'd very much be very discontent, very unhappy. But once I start stopped being stubborn, once I said, God, I'll make space for you to move in my life, he came through. And that brings me to my final point. Faith makes room for God to move in our lives. When we have faith in God, faith that recognizes that he knows best what we need, that his plan is better than ours as much as we might wish it isn't. The answer may not come when we want it. The answer may not come in the form that we think it will come. But the answer will come when we make space for God in that way. But until we do, we're going to be boxing him out constantly. And he's going to be saying, let me in. I have so many blessings for you. So do you struggle? Do you guys struggle to remember the blessings that God has bestowed on you? Do you guys recognize God's influence on your past? And do you allow that to help you ask him to change your future? Ask him to influence your future? Do you have faith that God will continue to meet your needs? Or do you see contentment or do you seek that contentment in something outside of God's plan for you? It's hard when we want one thing, but God is saying, no, you don't need that. Or we want this and God's like, no, you don't need, you don't need this. You don't need those cucumbers. It's okay, guys. You'll be okay. Um, it's hard, but it's when we take those leaps, that's when God has that transformational impact on our lives. So I want to leave you guys with two action steps today. One, study the Bible. If you're here, you're here, you're new, whoever invited you out, you know, reach out to them, ask, ask if we'll study the Bible with you. If you're already a disciple, already a Christian, dive into the Word. Like, like Ron was talking about, prayer is so important and diving into the Word just helps us, helps us develop that prayerful mindset. Secondly, share with someone inside the church and outside the church the ways, specific, three specific ways you see God has blessed your life. And I say specific because I think it's important that we do that. It's easy to be general in recognizing our blessings, but when we aren't specific, we can oftentimes minimize and not recognize how uniquely God has blessed us. So, thank you guys for your time. Love you all, and I hope you guys can really... We just develop that mindset, recognize God's blessings, make room for Him in your life. Thank you for your time. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.